Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Mandy. And this is Love Sober. The podcast for the sober and sober curious. If you love the Love Sober podcast and if it has helped you get stay or love sober, perhaps you would like to consider contributing uh, to our Patreon account and becoming a Love Sober patron stroke matron. And you can do that at patreon.com forward slash love sober pod. And this really helps us towards the production costs and running costs of, of our podcast. And we, any contributions are really gratefully received. Many thanks from us at the Love Sober team. Hi, and welcome back to Love Sober, the podcast for the sober and sober curious. And this episode is episode 128. And today we are absolutely delighted to speak to Laurie McAllister, dear sober sister and fellow traveler on this road. Um, Laurie is a life and empowerment coach for sober and sober curious women. She is a yoga teacher and writer of many things. You might know her from Girl and Tonic. She is out and proud sober. And she had, in 2016, she stopped drinking and turned her life around. She now supports other women to do the same through her writing, coaching and marketing support for sober businesses. Um, relocating from London to Norfolk to Cambodia and then back to Norfolk Laurie believes we are far all far more capable than we've been led to believe and we're allowed to make change in our stories whenever we choose behind the scenes she spends more time than she'd like to admit in her pajamas and likes nothing more than a hot bath and a nice cup of mint tea well here here and we're absolutely delighted to uh, speak to Laurie today to kick off um, our mental health focused awareness month for May Um, and Laurie is a huge mental health advocate and uh, really tells her story most generously and here we unpick it we unpick the nuances of being sober as part of our mental health journey really and speak some truths about our own mental health journeys um and and yeah how we how we cope with our lives really so um so yeah sit back have a cuppa and enjoy the show so it's fantastic to talk to you laurie and it's been you know we've known each other online for yeah for years now so we always start the podcast just talking a little bit about what brought you to the decision to stop drinking. So we'll start there. Yeah, nice to be here. Thank you both for having me on our virtual chat, <laughs> like yeah. our virtual sober lives we all have. So I stopped drinking in December 2016, which makes me, I guess, coming up to four and a half years sober. Whoop, whoop. Whoop. And I was thinking about this earlier. And for me, I thought drinking was really fun until it wasn't, right? It was this big part of my life, massive part of my life. When I was drinking, I was living in London, doing the London thing, working in an office in Soho, going out for drinks every night. I was in my early 20s. It all looked very can't see me doing inverted commas on the podcast but it all looked very fun and I look back now and I can break down how problematic my drinking was from the really early days but it wasn't until kind of the last 18 months or so that I realized I wasn't perhaps having a really great time with my drinking and there were loads of things that went into my decision to stop drinking And some of those aren't mine to talk about, but I'll talk about the ones that are. But I'm not sure about you guys where actually it's not it wasn't a straight line that led me to quit drinking. It's loads of different tangents. So. Like I said, I stopped in December 2016, but I did dry January's for fun from when I was about 22. But then in 2014, I had my first quite serious anxiety episode let's say I think if we look back now and if if we ask like my mum about it she'd say I had a breakdown at the time I didn't call it a breakdown but 
until this point in 2014, I hadn't really had any, men I hadn't had any mental health issues I had seen. I'd just kind of been going along with it, living my life, doing the London thing, having a great time. And then I got a job. It was very stressful. And I ended up starting having kind of panic attacks. And I couldn't leave my house in the morning. I was passing out on the tube on the way to work. In the end, I left work one day thinking I was having a heart attack. I was actually having an anxiety attack. Went to the walk-in clinic at, um, in Hackney. He was like, you're not very well, you're stressed. You know, you need to take a break. Went home, cried myself to sleep. <laughs> on my bed in this flat in Hackney I shared with my boyfriend and my dad came and picked me up took me home and I was like out of London for two months never went back to that job there's loads more to it but never went back to that job they shipped my stuff to me I didn't even go back into the office and I thought when I got a new job I was better right magic out of that stressful situation I don't have anxiety anymore I'm kind of back to normal and then and obviously this is a couple of years before I stopped drinking, but then in 2015, thinking that everything was better again, I got really into running. I did dry January. I got into being very healthy and I didn't deal with any of the mental health stuff that had come up the year before any of that serious anxiety, which actually was probably as well, kind of on top of a lot of depression. I just put this pansy on it. It was like a plaster. I was like, I've got a new job. I'm earning more money. I'm going back to living exactly how I was before. Surprise, surprise, it didn't quite work that way. And I realized more and more that I was drinking to cope with my feelings and I was really struggling with low confidence and self-esteem, probably as a result of what had happened the year before. And I needed to drink to feel up for going out. I'd brought in a new coping mechanism of some pretty serious eating issues as well. And I was just in this bubble of hard times right so 2016 rolls around I'm deep in anxiety depression quite severe bulimia antidepressants that I've been given to try and get me over all of it really strong without being told I shouldn't drink on them which I now know that the antidepressants I was taking I shouldn't have been drinking on and I had got to a level of self-awareness and looking at my, how my behavior was all kind of working in tandem with it, but I was still drinking a lot. And I now know that drinking a lot with my antidepressants was part of what started me being a blackout drinker. Mm -hmm. So 2016 rolls around, I'm in this cluster of really hard mental health stuff. And I'm still looking on the outside, like I'm coping and having a really good time by drinking a lot. The behind the scenes of that is I am going to work, doing my job, going to my exercise classes, seeing my friends, drinking a lot, and then getting home in a blackout and hating myself and my life. So I just needed some stable ground. My drinking would make my anxiety worse, my, uh, my eating worse, and I just felt so broken. And then I remember I was... It's so funny that sometimes this one thing can come into our awareness at the right time, right? So I remember I was sat in my office in Soho and I was on Mind Body Green, which I was obsessed with at the time. It was when that whole wellness, clean eating, woke culture thing was in. Yeah. And I stumbled upon this article by Andy from One Year No Beer. And he talked about how he'd stopped drinking and how it had improved his life. And how things have really turned around for him when he stopped drinking. And I really felt like I needed some of that. So at that point, I started kind of seriously trying to stop drinking. It took me a long time. Like it took me kind of probably a year from reading that article. I think I read that article at the beginning of 2016. I stopped at the end of 2016. I did lots of sort of not drinking, then drinking again, deciding I was never drinking again then having a massive blowout, then just kind of forgetting all about the not drinking thing and forcing it away and just pretending that I was fine. And then around all of this, I was also reading lots and lots about not drinking. I read a lot of Holly Whitaker's stuff because there wasn't much around in 2016, right? And there was no one my age 
but I read quite a lot of her stuff and I think I normalized not drinking for me to the point that when I decided to actually stop it felt achievable but it was loads of things that got me to that stopping drinking point did I think it was going to be a plaster for all my other issues yes was it no did it give me some stable ground to deal with everything else yeah yeah oh yeah there's so much I resonate in that story and thank you for sharing and just articulating it in such a way because I think it will help people so much because you know like a you know not completing completing that stress cycle not completing that you know getting past the things that happened and sort of living with that and trying to just build a plaster over it I really relate to that yeah and that Mm. kind of it taking a year you know it's like there's so much sort of pressure and people think it's just like I've got to do this like right now and it's like it will take time and it's like that sort of you read that thing and you have that first little hope or curiosity you know and it's like building that around and I loved how you said it's like you normalize not drinking so much that actually when you got there it was like I can do this now Mm. because you'd read because you'd sort of prepared the groundwork yeah yeah Yeah. and the fact that you know I mean one of the feedback we get from the podcast which is you know really amazing is that you that our conversations it's not that kind of toxic positivity of just like yeah you know so yeah go sober way you know it's like yeah it's love the, the podcast is love sober because it is you know we say the anchor that held ground for us in order to start being able to see and hear and heal from all the other stuff you know and it's not it's not like it solves everything but it certainly just gives us the stable ground as you say to like start to yeah to to heal and to to sort of find our way forward I guess yeah and actually like lazily I I would probably say sobriety changed my life but the truth to that sentence is sobriety gave me the foundations of self-belief and a consistent approach to life that Mm. I was able to make changes that changed my life yeah that makes complete sense and I always think of it as um for my my own self because I I really resonate with that and the stress and the situation and the working in London and being a journalist and or working in the media um and thinking that sobriety was going to be that magic wand and then all the old bad habits sort of came up after about a year but also um it's almost like I was using that alcohol as that kind of resource. Again, I'm doing a, an air bubble quote to, to just about hold all this shit together, not realizing that it's, it was making everything worse. It was just going to make everything worse. But then you take that, that chink out and it's like, oh, okay, now, now I can start. But now it's very apparent to me. Yeah, and I'll be honest, and I don't think this gets talked about a lot, and maybe this is just my own experience, because I also don't talk about this a lot, because it's quite hard to, and oh, there's, I don't know, for me, there's like only a level of vulnerability that I can do before I start feeling like, oh, I'm being so vulnerable, but easier on a podcast than it is on Instagram, but mm. when I stopped drinking, I took away my coping mechanism, right? Like, alcohol was how I coped with anxiety it was in some ways how I coped with my bulimia and then I took it away and actually quite a lot of stuff a lot of stuff got better I wasn't adding layers and layers of shame and regret and anxiety anymore but I didn't have a coping mechanism anymore and so when I took away alcohol my issues with food got worse to begin with Mm. and that doesn't get talked about a lot and doctors don't really know how to deal with that therapists don't really know how to deal with that I didn't know how to deal with it because what I had read about sobriety was that everything got better Mm. and so I then ended up in this in for a couple of years probably having and you know I've had my Instagram for ages and I was writing all this positive stuff about sobriety and it was all true but what was also true for me was that I was still struggling with anxiety 
and with an eating disorder that I had to then do the work Mm. when I didn't have alcohol to kind of go home and drink a vodka soda and socialize and control things that way to cope with everything that was going on in my head without turning to another unhealthy coping mechanism yeah so you reach this point right so you reach that that point where you know that you've got all of this stuff what happens next like how do you how do you do the work what is the work oh you mean don't avoid it completely and actually get over stuff (laughs) um my work and I know it's different for everyone so I stopped drinking and that probably was like the beginning I threw myself into trying to get better and I you know I was in this kind of unique I guess position where I was 25 I had an okay job I was earning like an all right amount of money not loads but not nothing either so I had some disposable income to go to yoga to go to therapy to put everything into it right so for me and I I guess I went to the doctors and and you know I did that going to the doctors and I sat down with my GP and I went I can't cope with my life and that was in August 2015 that was about a year and a half before I even stopped drinking but when I did stop drinking my antidepressants started to work like I'm I would I'm not going to say I'm an advocate for medication. I'm an advocate for people having choice around medication. And I don't believe if you don't want to take it, you don't have to take it. I got to a point where I just didn't know what else to do. I was not coping. And I was like, if I don't do something here, I'm just not in a good place. I can't keep living like this. And for me, when I stopped drinking, my medication actually had a chance to work. Um, And so for me, doing the work was taking medication Mm. on top of going to therapy. I have had various amounts of therapy through when I was in London, I went to um, a low cost therapy program, which was called Fresh Start, where they gave low cost therapy. to It was people in their last year training to be therapists and psychotherapists. I have had I paid privately. I've been through charities. The only way I haven't had therapy is through the NHS, but we can talk about that later. Um, <laughs> yeah. I got very self-aware. I journaled like there was no tomorrow. And I always say to my clients, actually, when I'm coaching, like, if you don't like journaling, voice note yourself, mm. but get it out. Mm. And for me, I just wrote and wrote and wrote. I would I started getting the bus to work rather than the train, so I wouldn't have to change. And I would just write and write and write. And I had a blog, I just wrote and wrote and wrote. And I just developed this level of self-awareness so I could start to unpick all my pieces. And then I got in my head as well, right? And therapy helped me with that. So that I started realizing like, okay, what's, 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 in, what's the thing that's starting you to want to use an unhealthy coping mechanism? Where in your life can you make changes that you're not going to want to turn to alcohol? Okay, you can't do that anymore. Food, okay, you don't really want to do that anymore. How can you self-soothe mm-hmm. to take care of yourself? And a therapist once said this to me, and I think it's very true. When we turn to drinking at a young age, like I did, like I started drinking when I was like 13 at parties, probably more seriously at like 15 And then when I was at university, like we drank every night, right? Instead of learning to parent yourself in a healthy way, you can use alcohol to parent yourself, right? Had a bad day, have a drink. Had a good day, have a drink. Need confidence, have a drink. Need support, have a drink. Need to soothe yourself, have a drink. And then the have a drink gets taken away and I had to learn to reparent myself. Also, I realized that my parent voice was horrible. My parent voice was horrible to me. So then it became about that bit of work was how do I cultivate this like kind, nourishing parent voice who can tell me I'm doing my best and that maybe today my best is having a bath or, you know, taking a step back rather than get a grip, get over it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I resonate so much. Totally. And I can hear you gaining ground as you were talking then about, okay, then this, then this, then this. We get this sense of, okay, now I'm starting to work it. Now I'm starting to get ground. Now I'm starting to get to grips now. I can hear like it, it like we were talking we've been talking quite recently about external resources mm. and then once though it's like you've got a scaffold the the internal ones have a chance to air and process um sorry man I talked to no, you no 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 not at mm. all um I just yeah I I really resonate with that it's kind of the you know we talk about self-compassion but mm. what does self-compassion actually mean it is that talking kindly to yourself, you know, and and how do we do that? It's well, first identifying the voices that aren't talking kindly to ourselves and, and why. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it, it is a, a process because it's it's been something that helped, bef- you know, for a long time. You know, I mean, I resonate, I, I think both, Kate, you started drinking slightly later than, me but not much I mean Mm. but yeah I was drinking from the age of you know 13 14 it was it's like right going to a party I feel anxious well I have a drink Mm. you know and that that helps or get over a breakup or you know whatever it was and then it worked up until a point and then it didn't and and when you start to think of it that way it's like that's an access point to compassion because it's like look there's no shame Mm. in the fact that you were just trying to cope and that was the way that you knew or you learn and and now you're trying to find another way you mm. know and it was not because you you were bad or you failed it's just like you just accessed what was accessible to you at that time in your life um and that became a way of coping with your feelings um i, I um, want do you identify as a, an introvert sort of hsp i was just interested on that side i definitely am a hsp i think yeah. i I always say that I have paper thin skin Mm. right everything sticks to me I am so sensitive and I really pick up on other people's moods working in an open plan office was the worst thing I ever did because if I got in in the morning and my boss didn't say hello to me well god that was you know the end of Mm. the end of everything in terms of introvert yeah more now probably ambivert they're saying that's a thing now right I definitely am really introverted but I learned to be an outgoing confident version of that if that makes sense Mm. like I need my own my own time and I need my space and alcohol enabled me to be like a party person and actually I never realized this until a lot later or until really recently actually but I remember at uni, like I'd need to drink two bottles of wine to go out and see everyone. Mm. I needed to, I needed the alcohol to be that version of me. And I've been thinking about this again recently. And actually I was going through, I have Google Docs for life, right? When I first started kind of trying to stop drinking, I've just got reams of links and everything from 2015 and one of the first titles that I wrote for a blog that I never actually wrote maybe I will write it was in love with a stranger like re-falling in love with myself alcohol free because actually okay deep deep down I'm the same person but the outside version of me now is really different I am a stranger if if I me, Laurie, 29, four and a bit years sober, met Laurie, 24, having a breakdown, drinking Cosmopolitans and spending all our money on Reese. I wouldn't recognize myself. Mm. And it happens really gradually. But also I think for me in that early days of sobriety, it happened quite quickly. I really quickly had to kind of not become, when I say become someone else, I don't mean I changed everything, but I did have to become this new version of me to be able to do what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. a crash course in self-development, right? Yeah. Oh, crash course <laughs> in like personal getting well. Yeah. 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 yeah, that's so. Yeah, and that's really interesting because I think, because I was talking to a client about this the other day about that kind of rejection, you know, so it's that, that, that rejection of self at some point. Um, and you're like, and that's kind of a necessary step um 
but there's a lot of feelings around that because then it's like I feel ashamed of that person or that person sort of I can't believe I did all those things and you have that horrible kind of grieving moment of Mm. that that other side of you and then but it does come full circle like I was looking at some old photos yesterday and I was like oh I don't have any feelings about these anymore which is so nice just like that was her that was it's it's all me you know like I I, I don't want to be that version of me anymore but she's still me and I don't hold any kind of yeah any feelings about it in in a way that's negative anymore I'm just like that was just then and this is now and I was like shit that's nice (laughs) big yeah yeah Yeah. because it for a long time Mm. I couldn't look at for about 10 years of my life I couldn't I couldn't look at photos or couldn't look at me so Um, yeah I actually have I mean I have a similar experience but then how do I phrase this so when I stopped drinking I went through my personal Instagram account and deleted all of the photos that looked like I was having fun when I was drinking Mm. right because I didn't want to romanticize what that was like but actually now I'm not ashamed of that girl she was doing the best that she could right Mm. but I also sometimes now struggle with feelings where sobriety my sobriety has made my life infinitely better, but I'm not sure it's made it easier, right? And sometimes I do still have to get over this kind of like, oh, well, you know, I look at, fo- I can look at photos of my life that look like it was like fun and I was having this good time. And it was much easier to play along with the good time girl sort of identity right where you would just where I would just go out have drinks with my friends not worry about anything talk to all the guys that were out there um and it felt easy Mm. and now in sobriety to be that person without the alcohol like to go out with my friends to have a really nice time to try and date I'm single again I haven't always been single in sobriety but I am single right now it can feel hard, mm. right? So it's also not disliking this version of me. Mm. Like I do like this version of me nearly all the time, but there will be scenarios where I'm like, God, it would be easier. That's not true. Mm. It would be different. Mm. And I'm so grateful for where I'm at. But I, I think one of the things that doesn't get talked about is that kind of, like there are parts of sobriety for me that are more difficult. Yeah, I love what you said that. And I I think it's so important to highlight that. And I'll just give a personal reaction here in terms of that, because I definitely feel I mean, I have a family with complex needs, we've had bereavements, Mm. we've had redundancies, like, I mean, lots of shit has hit the fan over the last few years. Um, but I do, I kind of can't help. Like, so I feel like sobriety gave me back some, gave me back hope. It gave me back yeah. many, 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 many gifts. Like the Pandora's box of all the stuff that's out there at the bottom is this bit of hope, which is so beautiful. I've totally forgotten what I was going to say. What was I going to say? No, I've got that, like, we've only got one life. And yeah. I love the fact that I get to learn like I get mm. to learn all the bloody time and I love learning. I mean, I'm that I guess that's lucky, right? Because I do love, <laughs> I love learning. And I think you're right. There is that sense that certain things might be easier. You can't, there's no, it's almost like there's no get rounds anymore. Like we have to just live, right? <laughs> there's no excuses. But there's and And that means that it's like these opportunities to learn all the time. So, I guess for me, it's like, okay, that's where the toolkit comes in, the sober toolkit, like you were saying, how do I self-soothe? How do I bring myself up? How do I manage myself to bring myself down? How do I kind of go? And sometimes it is still really tiring. Yeah. (laughs) It just is. (laughs) But it's that kind of thing of like life in HD, right? So it's like when it's good, it's really good. And But like when (laughs) it's a pain in the arse, it's really a pain in the arse, you know, and... Mm. um. I was reading this book the other day, which um, about burnout, which is really good actually. It's by the same woman that did Come As You Are, um, mm. Doctor, I can't remember her name, um, but she was talking about kind of growth and and healing, 
and she was saying that you know it pain is is not something that just disappears like that you know when you're healing or self-compassion um there's a time period you know and we we ex we have expectations that it's just like gone um you know she's like if you break your arm you put a cast around it but it doesn't stop hurting straight away like it still hurts all the time that it's healing um but you've got this cast around it you've got this protection and i think that's what sort of sobriety is like it's like the pain is still there and the healing is still mm. there and it's still painful but we know how to triage <laughs> but ourselves. we know how to yeah to, to put a cast around it and mm. protect it um so we don't kind of just go back mm. to unhelpful coping strategies there's a sort of sense of like as long as i'm as long as i don't do that thing which will really hurt me i can get through this even though it's really painful at the moment you know and I do think there's that sort of well it's that sense of growth it's like life only goes in one way you know like we only get older like it's only going to get more complicated you know and and I that really helped me in therapy because you know I was so stuck in like my 18 year old self probably because of trauma I got stuck at that age really and then I was in my kind of 30s still drinking and doing drugs and the things that I was doing when I was that age, but having kids and feeling dreadful about myself uh, with really kind of beating myself up and a lot of self-harm through my behaviour. And what I didn't realise was that I'm going to just, like, like life only goes in one direction. Like, I'm just going to get older. Like, it's going to get more complicated. It's going to get more complex. Um you know, when I was 18, I didn't have responsibilities. I did. Yeah, it was kind of chaos and it was dangerous, but it was an 18 year old life. Yeah. And that's different to being 30. And it's like, you know, now I need different skills and toolkit to cope with, you know, death or I don't know, whatever, just life stress, you know, and it's OK to kind of, yeah, look at things in a different way and 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 approach things in a different way. And I guess what's difficult for you at, at this point is that you're, yes, you're, you're still, as I think when getting sober at a young age, there is a different complexity, right? Because, you know, I have so much admiration for you and Millie and people that did at that, that age, because I was mm. thinking about it at that age. Me too. I was first sober curious when I was 24 and I didn't get sober until I was 30, 34. <laughs> so yeah. but it's a different complexity right because you've got that dating you've got you know friendships you've got a lot more of that party lifestyle to kind of cope with yeah and I think also the thing that comes with sobriety and what you touched on there right is that level of personal responsibility mm. and I think that is what contributes to all the growth but also it's the big suitcase, right? Your personal responsibility suitcase can be quite heavy to carry around. Yeah. And you and it does bring about all of this personal growth. And yeah, life only gets harder. And actually, over time, having personal responsibility is brilliant. But I found in the early stages of my sobriety, sometimes I was like, I just want to put this down. Like, mm. I just want to, you know, and it's a childlike reaction, but it's like, I don't want to have to cope with this. Let me throw away what I know. Um, and not that you act on it, but it's just always interesting to observe that part of me that does still come up sometimes. And it's now an observation rather than a reaction. But, you know, I have got some complex stuff going on in my life right now. I'm very grateful for my sobriety and at the moment my positive mental health, which means I can cope with it. Yeah. Because if you look at kind of capacity as a bucket, right, sometimes it just gets all the way full up. And for me, I think if I was adding drinking into that still, mm. I'd be overflowing. Yeah. yeah. But I do, you know, still have sometimes that childlike reaction, which I think I would assume lots of us have, which is like, oh, why do I have to deal with it? Yeah, mm. 100%. And I don't think, think you life just gets harder and harder. I really don't. I no. think it's cycles yeah and cycles and yeah I mean I love being where I am now mm. like it's it's fantastic but it just you get more responsibilities you just have yeah, more, more complex more complexities um yeah. but I think um 
yeah what you were saying about that the kind of bucket overflowing there is a sense also and I think this is why we talk about community so much is like but that's when you need nurture right that's when you need that support and it's like when you have a community or you have people that you you know are your, your sober buddies or whatever that understand the complexities of holding the fucking suitcase all the yeah. time you know that's mm -hmm. the beauty of that that you can go you know what like I'm so done with this <laughs> holding all this and then you can go mm -hmm. all right let's go for a big walk let's you know go I don't know bodyboarding or jump in the sea or whatever and have that like let's release it because it needs releasing yeah because you know? mm -hmm. I don't mm -hmm. we're not we're not supposed to carry the the sack all the fucking time or go to therapy or you know I mean that's a privilege but I do think having those really sort of and also having that feedback because you know I've got a lot of stuff going on Kate's always got a lot of stuff <laughs> going on oh. so no I've had this I'm sorry I've just had this brilliant because I'm re-watching Downton Abbey it's, it's like Mandy always said Downton got her sober yeah. and I've watched it a couple of times even when I was so I was sober but I still can't remember what go what's been going on like mm -hmm. so I've watched it again and I suddenly thought with the suitcase talk I was thinking about them having valets and ladies maids and I was like mm, I supposing I had like the best valet in the whole world who could just take my suitcase just for a bit and know what to do with it and know where to put it and I Lovely. could just be Aunt Lady Mary just for a minute and have my hair done. Um, this is all imaginary. These are the internal <laughs> characters. But why not? Let's have let's have our internal valets. I do to... think that's your support system. I, I, that's that's what yeah. screams to me. It's just like who can carry that for a little bit <laughs> for you, you know? Um, and mm. and and it's that reflection of just like yeah, things are really tough for you at the moment I mm. see that and when you can see that and, and have someone to reflect that back to you is incredibly powerful and I think that's what we forget and you know women's we're so conditioned to take on everything of everyone else and not answer our own needs and it's like when you have that understanding of going it's okay to say I'm really struggling right now and things are really tough it's okay to reach out and say can you just hold my hand for a bit because this suitcase is really heavy um and rest you know I mean I think there's also yeah. something really powerful Laurie in that you know we're all coaches here um writers um and out out and proud sort of thing mm. and there is such a lot of power to be said by saying things are sometimes still really tough and actually I feel really shit today and be and that kind of realness and that permission you know in this kind of you know because this this next month like May we're doing a whole focus on on mental health and there is some there are some awareness days and, and stuff and everything you've talked about you know your mental health journey and we, we've talked about that's I think that's such a key going forward in in order to put down the suitcase for a start to just say actually part of that could can be oh god I just feel like I've got to kind of have this face because I'm pro a professional and I'm working mm. in this area I can't feel like shit today but I think the more we do and the more that we can still be sort of transparent it not only it helps other people it helps us it's just let's just take the freaking pressure off right I don't know yeah and I was thinking about that as well like I think we because I think one of the things that you've kind of asked me in advance was like how do you manage your mental health and I think for me like taking an honest inventory of my current emotional state is one of the biggest things that I manage your mental health is this really tricky thing right because god it's like such a vast sprawling situation but actually being very honest with where I'm at and not trying to be every day like this shiny perfect human being but being like okay so how am I where am I at today mm. is this a pattern am I just having a bad day or is this indicative indicative of me maybe going into a low period is this me being low is this am I really struggling with anxiety you know having that honest conversation with yourself so it's not like every day like get up do the thing perform I think we live in a very performative culture mm. right made worse by social media and actually like we we're talking about earlier using that compassion 
to yeah. know that it's not always easy. And even we, though we do live in this like hustle, achievement-based, more, 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 what can you do today culture, to know that actually sometimes survival and self-care is the priority and that the world's not going to end because we do the bare minimum for a few days, a few weeks, a few months, a year, whilst we cope yeah. in a healthy way. Oh, love that well yeah. put well put in here here yeah yeah it was interesting I did um I was on a panel about mental health and it was for kind of well CEOs and and you know managing directors and things like that and you know one of the speakers I was with um who created the Clementine app she was saying the biggest thing that you know CEOs can do is just be honest about their own mental mm. health it's like it has to be top down. It has to come from people just saying today I'm not coming to work because I'm 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 not feeling great. Like I just need a day. Um, and there's such a sort of lack of transparency still. We're so much better than we were. But, you know, um, that permission and that ability to say, you know, I'm sorry, I can't, you know, like for, as, as a co- I can't turn I can't show up for you right today. Mm. And that's teaching those people that it's okay for them to struggle too. Um. I do think in some ways we're better. I think the conversation around mental health has definitely improved on a wider scale in terms of like, we now talk about anxiety and depression, but I do think that that there is still quite a long way to go between it's acceptable to talk about it kind of in this generic wide scale Mm. concept, but then I'm not sure how well that translates to people's everyday reality or treatment so like we do have mental health awareness days and months and everyone talks about it but often we talk about it in hindsight right like and that is also a self-protective mechanism like for me personally sometimes you know I might go on Instagram and say I'm being really anxious today but if I'm going through a depressive period I'm probably not going to be publicizing it because apart from anything else there's a lot for other people to carry on a public platform and then actually like the bit where you're at work and like you do need to take some time off for your mental health that bit's still really hard right and going to your doctors is still really hard and getting the treatment is still really hard so although it has improved on this kind of conceptual Mm. we all have mental health scale translating it into that your personal reality is hard because actually it can be like you know with our work that's you know I could I could say to a client you know I'm actually like having a really bad day can we reschedule and that would be okay but god I had a lot of migraines when I had a proper job yeah because it gets to a point I remember having a meeting where you know this was actually a few years ago but we had a meeting and and they were like look you know our absence policy is you can have three days off a a year otherwise we're going to review you you've had 12 um you know what can we do and you know I'm like well yeah I'm struggling with depression and an eating disorder but I'm doing my best to keep showing up and coping but there's not the but then what do you do do you know yeah it's all very well in theory it's almost like taking all the shit out of the bag but not having a mechanism to put it put it back in or to to fold it up or to deal with it yeah and you know I'm lucky in that I could afford private therapy through various means through different charities but and I'm not an NHS basher I'm so grateful we have a health service but I mean my experience was that I went to the doctor in August 2015 had a meltdown in the office was already having a meltdown and I got passed from service and I felt broken right at this point I said at the beginning of the podcast Mm. I felt so broken and fucked up to explain. I just didn't know where to go but also like I was so inherently aware of my privilege that my issues weren't big enough for support right because I was keeping it together I was still going to work I was still getting paid I still lived on like with my housemate I was still going out every most nights so on the outside I looked fine on the inside I felt broken I had this conflicting situation I went to my GP And I got passed from service to service to service to service. And I, to this day, have not had any help except antidepressants other than going private. And, you know, I, at that point, was high functioning enough that I could 
manage my situation. But that's what I still mean when I say I think conceptually we're very good at talking about it. And I can sit here and talk to you about it on a podcast. But if I hadn't had the money to go private or the slight slither of self-belief that I deserved some help and therefore researched charities and got some eating disorder, there's eating funded not by beat I will not talk about that but you know there's a charity in Norfolk that I got support from if I hadn't had that then I would probably still be back where I was yeah and it's that like very very true that's very true and I you know in the UK isn't and then then there's this like and if there's any kind of alcohol or drug thing then you're down a different pathway and nothing matches up and whichever way you go you've got about a million year wait list yeah you know yeah yeah I mean we've yeah, talked it's about it it's it's, uh, mm. it's incredibly mm. tough and it's like the, the more barriers that you have due to you know trauma the color of your skin the the amount of money you have in the bank you know where you live where you live all these all the barriers your sexual orientation all the, all the barriers that, that are put in place the more stigma that you you have for ending up in problematic situations yeah so yeah there's a huge amount to be to be done um so in terms of kind of um the joys of your sober journey um, what's the sort of biggest area of personal growth you you've noticed about yourself? Yeah, I just before we just yeah. quickly, I'm just going to say I have just gone on a tangent there about mental health. But I just want to say, like, just, you know, if people are listening to this and they are thinking like, yeah, I feel like that and I'm not getting any support know that it's not you right and that you do deserve to get support and keep the faith Mm. and find some no matter how long you have to push and keep going with it and I know for myself when I was really struggling with my mental health that I felt like giving up because I felt like I wasn't worth getting help and at points I felt like I wasn't worth getting better and every time I came up against a barrier that would come back at me but hold on to that faith that actually Mm. you do deserve to get better and even if you just have to keep going to your GP yeah keep banging on the door keep Mm. going my GP in the end because I didn't get any help anywhere else just made me go and see him every two weeks yeah which I'm sure isn't very good use of resources really but he was like I need to see you to make sure you're all right and if you're not going to get you know we're going to struggle everywhere else and you come here so yeah. just hold on to that faith in yourself that you do deserve to get better and you can get better. Yeah, thank you. Just have you. to work with what you've got. Yeah, yeah, it's really important to to say that and and also to say that you know to reach out, right? Like well, um, there's so that. you know yeah, we 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 know a lot of um of who you can contact, you know, like send us a message, send you know all the there's so many free groups now, thank goodness on you know Facebook and just sort of say look like I'm struggling and and someone will know somewhere that you can turn to and sort of hold your hand you know Um, yeah well one thing I I I think is so great about you know having these kind of joined up conversations about it all and what you're talking about Laurie today um, about the mental health behind the, the substance or whatever is that like you said, Mand, it's like we do, we are having these joined up conversations. So we have got a better chance of finding our way. Um, And together, it's like the hive mind, it's like together, we pull our resources, we can signpost, we can help, we can keep the conversation going. Um, And it is that one you know you can have that conversation with that one person and they'll, they'll know something yeah but like I know that I was there with my son um a couple of years ago and I was actually with you Mandy wasn't I and we were just getting doors slammed in our face all the time and the last thing was like you're not going to get an educational healthcare plan and we were like everything is going to shit and you said to me what about the somebody in some sober forum mm. I got in touch with her her husband was the head of CAMS in oh, wow 
and he gave us some stellar advice and we were able to navigate the system and that was a sober sister talking to another one whose husband worked there who then gave us half an hour on the phone and it's like sometimes it is your informal networks that can make all the difference you know so reach out to those 100% yeah because it's like they they get it you know and it's like and I think that's the beauty and what I love Mm. you know and has been the consistent thing that brought me back to sobriety was I felt so alone in my life and I never felt like I belonged and I never fit and then all of a sudden when I first sort of started interacting with the sober community it was like not only did they love me unconditionally but they just got things and they didn't question it and you know and that advice and support of just like oh yeah well have you tried this or you know Mm. and I mean that's how I mean I'm looking for a therapist at the moment and um it's through yeah through connections it's like oh so I found one for 50 quid an hour which is not accessible to many people but it's a lot less than the other ones that I'd that I'd you know been given which were like 100 or whatever so it's like just keep pushing and asking questions to people that are safe spaces for you Um, and even if they're strangers it, it really doesn't matter and that's the the good side of social media (laughs) yeah and actually like I say this a lot as well like social media is brilliant and like reading other people's content is great but you also have to remember that a lot of content is created to be popular and actually like talking to people and individuals for your mental health and reading science-backed information and going to your GP if you are struggling Instagram is great for awareness, but when you're taking action, I always say to people, if they come to me and ask for my advice, I'm like, please go to your GP, mm. even if it's just for a chat. I know there's considerations with if you've got children and, um, but just even to just go and say, you know, I am struggling with X, just to get, you know, some support that isn't reading, a, you know, a nice three point Instagram, how to overcome your anxiety, because nobody's anxiety got better from one Instagram post right yeah yeah and also there is a um I think this is something that we've talked about before as well it's like if your if your GP isn't a good fit like if they don't make you feel safe and supportive then you can change I know it's not easy but you can change and I've had to do I've had some very very bad experiences with with doctors and you know um through very damaging for when I was a young person um and now I'm just like no you're not my you're not my person and I'll just go to someone else say can I can I change can I go to this one in the in the surgery mm. whatever and just you know maybe you've got a man and you want a woman or whatever like just look after yourself in in that sense um okay so um yeah in terms of kind of your I don't know your um well let's tell us a little bit about what you're up to in terms of your plans and and projects at the moment yeah so quickly I think what's happened to me in sobriety has been that I have just kind of learned that what I want to do now I can do right I think when you get sober you do this thing that I for most of us feels unachievable and then we achieve it and that feels amazing and it just builds this like level of self-belief that yeah life is hard but we can do the really hard stuff yeah I mean you've achieved some amazing (laughs) stuff right like so (laughs) you bought and paid off tell tell us about what what you've achieved Mm. (laughs) it feeds into this achievement matrix doesn't it yeah that's true let me tick off all these boxes but yeah no so I mean, from, pr- it's nice to be proud of you. I am, yeah, yeah, yeah I am. Recognise achievements. From yeah. being in London and kind of having a job that was all right, I did quite like it, but also I didn't at other points and I felt very stuck in that. So yeah, I pe- like paid off my debts and trained to be a yoga teacher, left that fancy job, moved from London to Norfolk, moved to Cambodia, just moved back to Norfolk. Amazing. Um, there's yeah, a lot of, you know, there's a lot of stuff. That bought a house, bought a flat. Oh, yeah. Bought a house. Bought a house. Um, yeah you know and I'm about to move back into that house and that is lots of stuff that's happened but I think more than anything and I always say this like I actually like myself now I didn't like myself very much at the end of my drinking and I actually now have that compassion that 
I like myself. And I think stopping drinking showed me that I can create my own path outside of what society expects of me. When you unplug from that sort of booze matrix of marketing and alcohol related fun and this is how your life should look you get to kind of design how your life should look mm. right. And that has a lot love it. to play yeah. in with the work I do now in that I do still do a bit of marketing, but now it's for sober brands, which is really cool. And also, you know, I've, I work with women, sober and sober curious women and support them to be kind of more confident, content and happy without the need for alcohol. And I train to teach yoga and I do that. And then I write and that's enabled me to create work that I love as well as this life that I love most of the time I do think I don't know if you guys will agree with me on this but the if you do work you love you never work a day in your life is rubbish if you do work you love you end up just working all the time, oh, time. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so true. but you know it's it's really helped me kind of create work that I do like and see that actually like I have all these skills that do work in supporting people that have come from my kind of journey and I think we talked uh kind of offline about themes for like our work and I actually think we probably have quite maybe different audiences but similar themes and that kind of the themes for my work are kind of accountability gratitude compassion acceptance and this fundamental belief or growth mindset or whatever you'd want to call it that we're all capable of change yeah fundamentally we're enough mm. and we are and I, god I want everyone to accept themselves as they are right now mm. yeah. but if you come from that place and then you want to change stuff you can do mm. it yeah I love just using a yoga thing, the sankalpa thing about and having seed wishes like the seed is perfect. It doesn't, you know, and we're growing, we're growing into big trees or whatever. Um, but everything's your right where you need to be at that moment, right? Yeah, <laughs> so, I love that. Yeah. And I think as well that that analogy of the seed is quite helpful for us in sobriety, right? Like in early sobriety, it's like you plant yourself back yeah. down. Yeah, you ground. And it takes again. time. It takes time and other nurture and right good conditions. Yeah, and that's why also like I like all of the stuff that I have achieved, you know, achieved on paper, I'm doing those air quotes again it does look really good and God, it's great for marketing, but mm. actually I don't ever want that to make someone else feel like their sobriety isn't successful because they're doing exactly the same thing as when they stop drinking. If I'd been in a place when I stopped drinking that I was going to be happy, I'm actually often quite envious of people that do one job and they like their job oh, and they're going to stay in their job and, you know, and they've got this plan. They want to be in the same place because for me, I've had to chop and change so much stuff to try and get to a place where I am enjoying what I'm doing. And, you know, I'm not scared of doing that, but also there's, there's joy in contentment, right? Mm. And I am searching for the contentment. And if you are already at contentment, I think you've won. <laughs> yeah. Why is, I love that. I mean, I have this conversation with people like, you know, it, it is about what works for you, you know, because, um, you know, my best mate, she lives in the same town we grew up in. You know, she cleans all the houses along her terrace while the kids are at school and then she picks the kids up and, you know, they go and sit in the garden and she's perfectly happy, you know. And and I, yeah, I have some envy around that. But, you know, like there's me, the, the writer and living in France and have moved all over the place and blah, 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 blah. But it's because, yeah, I'm searching for that moment of like where I can put my seed down and just actually stay still. So but I mean, the grass is always greener. Yeah, you know, I always just, say you just have um, to nurture your own and and mm. and, and feed your and your own. I grass. always say like dig your own story. It's like mm -hmm. dig your own. Right. Because you find it's yours. That's that's no one else has got it like and everyone's got the light and shade and you know it's yeah some well, people have yeah go on no I was just gonna say that's that Instagram quote that we see right which is like the grass is actually greener where you water it yeah. and mm. you know all of us here you know we are on that kind of 
you guys have your book in the community and you are really making waves to change that story around drinking and motherhood. And that is a conversation that needs to be had. But equally, if you just want to, you know, do, just be a mum. Just yeah, be a that mom doesn't drink. And, that doesn't <laughs> drink and enjoy yeah. your family and your life, then oh, good that's for you. beautiful. And, oh my yeah. God, yeah. And I always think about this as well. Like, this is the path that I'm going down right now. You know, I'm and part of being able to be a successful coach and reach the women that I want to, like, that I want to work with. I do have to be visible, right? Because otherwise no one's going to know about me. And that's, that's the whole thing, right? For people to find you, you do have to be visible. And that's what we're doing here yeah. and on in all of that stuff. But if you don't need that visibility for your work, then, oh, that sounds lovely, honestly. <laughs> and I just yeah. never want people to look at me and think, well, she, you know, she's doing all of that because actually I'm doing it in it's part. It's a means to an end, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's necessity because mm. if you don't, if I sit in my house and don't make anything public, then, you know, I'm not going to reach the people I want to reach in the same way for you guys. Mm. But yeah. In the same way, if your sobriety just means you've got more time to spend with your kids or that you get to go to yoga every night and, you know, you enjoy it and you're building a life you love that way, then that's great too. It's just what we see of sobriety is all of these public figures because we're the ones that have to talk about it for our work, right? So it's actually like you don't often see people living awesome lives sober that aren't in the public eye because they're not publicizing it like actually I've got some friends in Cambodia that don't drink uh that are amazing and they run this amazing NGO and I'm sure sobriety helps them do that because they're not hung over all the time and they work all the time and they are running this amazing um project which helps hundreds of Cambodians to have food security and health security but we don't see a sober person doing that because she doesn't need to shout about her sobriety. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I mean? So I think there's all these amazing things sober people are doing, but we just see the sober people being sober coaches or right, you know. Yeah, the loudness of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, my sister-in-law, she's never drank. And um, yeah, she doesn't, no one just yeah and it goes back to what your um what your you what you love and what your values are and you know yeah. you've always said you're a you're an activist and I'm a I'm a, an evangelist right I'll, mm. I'll give me a bloody soapbox on speaker's corner and I'll be like rah, 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 rah. so you know it suits it suits us it doesn't always see us because like you say the the sort of mental health the well-being the family commitments the, the this that and the other come in and we have to take time where we just don't do anything whatsoever sometimes on an emergency basis yeah but you know so it's just just whatever floats your boat isn't it yeah completely yeah. and and that's the thing right like I love meeting people who are who are sober and who are just like living their best lives now yeah. it's so good it's almost be. permission as well it's yeah. permission to do that it takes pressure off yeah. yeah no pressure um, so tell us about your collaboration with Millie because um I know you've got that starting up yeah, so we're hosting, we were talking the other day about kind of like more peer support within within kind of the sober community. And there is lots now too, but obviously she runs Sober Girl Society. And so we're launching this uh, virtual wake up club, which is going to be every other Saturday in May and June, which is going to be a morning peer led support session. So whether people are sober or whether people are sober already or they're sober curious, just time to connect kind of share and start Saturdays with this like positive bang where we're all in this kind of safe space nice. so yeah they've launched they're on sale at the moment and yeah they're going to go all through May and June if it goes well maybe we'll continue them them happening we've done tickets on um tiered pricing so that there are some like free tickets there are some low-cost tickets there are some that will are more expensive that will enable you effectively to kind of pay for someone else because as you guys know events cost money to run yeah there needs to be money going Good. back into it so the content can keep being created and all of that stuff but yeah we've put that tier led um money in and it's for people that maybe don't want to go to london to go to a big meetup or you do but that's not possible right now just so that we can bring in some of that community and shared support that we've been talking about <clears> here um 
into kind of more people's lives. They're going to be quite small, uh, each one, so that everybody can talk if they want to, or they can just come and listen. Lovely. It's a way to meet more more people. Yeah. So it's called the Virtual Wake Up Club, and it's through um, Sober Girl Society. So tickets you can find through the website or Eventbrite, or if you can't find them, just message me and I'll tell you where to find them. And um, what else have you got? I mean, so you're coaching one-to-one so people can get in contact with you if they're interested in coaching. Yeah, so I'm working with one-to-one clients. I have, I think I have a couple of spaces coming up in the middle of May. I only take on a certain a number of clients at a time because I just like to give people my full attention. And if you want to know more, yeah, head to my website. I predominantly work with women who are already on their alcohol-free journeys in some way, whether you're sober or you're just starting out but they'll be on that path just to kind of yeah build confidence and create these lives that they love that we've been talking about whilst also understanding you know we've got that suitcase of personal responsibility that you know not everything's going to be magic and shiny straight away mm-hmm. and so we always finish the podcast with your tip of the day and your reason to love sober so what would be your tip so tip of the day um take time every day if you can to stop and ask yourself what do I need in this moment? I think we all get caught up in so much doing and routine and taking a moment to pause and actually get quiet and say, what do I need right now? And then actioning it, Mm. you know, okay, if you need a holiday to the Maldives, probably not going to (laughs) happen, but maybe you just need to sit and breathe for a minute. Maybe you need a glass of water. Maybe you need to make time to talk to your friend. Just giving yourself that little bit something you need even in a really busy day I think can make a big difference yeah I love it and your reason to love sober it's so difficult to choose one um (laughs) but I think for today like like I said earlier like sobriety showed me I'm capable of doing really hard things and one of those hard things has been using my voice Mm -hmm. and I think what I love about being sober is that we all have this unique voice and a valuable contribution to make in the world and my sobriety has shown me that I can use mine right mm. so oh I love that I love that yeah. yeah oh thank you so so much Laurie it's been wicked to chat really nice to see you, you. Guys. uh so yeah it's been great and you know thank you for your contribution and mm. shining a light right because you were one of the first yeah. I found on Instagram, you know, when I came back to sobriety 2014, was it 2000 and yeah, 2017 um, and looking around and trying to find my voice again um, after going back to drinking. So I really appreciate you. Yeah. Talking about mental health and, and sort of giving that space for people to talk about it too. So yeah thank you so much yeah thank you so if you're uh, immediately concerned about your drinking as laurie said you know talk to your gp or soberistas has an anonymous ask the doctor service as well um and just reach out um and also there's alcohol change in the uk lots of different sober forums that we always mention on the end of the podcast but just know that you're not alone um reach out and get connected and um, we'll see you next week for more chat.